I'm Luke. I'm John. Are you having a stroke? No, come on, guess what tune I'm humming. I've got no idea. It's our theme tune, you dummy. And why are you humming it at me? I'm playing guess the intro. Oh, buzzcocks. Well, there's no need for language like that. They spent their whole lives watching TV. Now they're sharing their opinions with you. Cos now they want to have some fun. With a channel that is all brand new. Get comfy and without further ado. They'll choose the shows that you want to view. It's time to change the channel to Luke and John Cracking TV. Luke and John Cracking TV. Welcome to Cracking TV. We're Luke and John, and we're on a mission to create the dream schedule for our own network, Cracking TV. Each episode, we'll be talking about classic shows from a particular genre, picking one to fill a slot in our schedule. We'll be taking it in turns to be the commissioner and the pitcher. The pitcher will bring a number of shows in the hope of scoring that big commission. However, the commissioner has already got a first-rate show in mind. The pitcher desperately wants one of his shows to win and avoid the embarrassment of being thrown out of the commissioner's office. This week, I'm the commissioner. John, thanks for coming in. I've asked you to pitch some panel show comedies that will make my slot come alive. Yeah, we're looking at the comedy panel show and I'm going to get straight into it with my first pitch because this is the best way to describe the genre. Okay. It's Have I Got News For You. Okay, good one to start with. Big hitter. The mother and father of the modern TV comedy panel show. Created by Harry Thompson, who was a brilliant comedy writer. Amongst other things, he co-created the very dark comedy animation Monkey Dust. Oh, that was a brilliant show. Absolutely. He co-created Have I Got News For You with Jimmy Mulville, who's now the managing director of Hattrick Productions, and he was himself a comedian and comedy writer in the 80s. Have I Got News For You began in 1990. Originally, what the BBC wanted was a topical comedy show, but one that had a strong sense of improvisation, like Whose Line Is It Anyway?, which was doing well on Channel 4. And also made by Hattrick. Yep. So interestingly, the BBC would return to that idea much later with another show, which Mm. we'll talk about in a bit. For now, they decided to make a sort of TV version of Radio 4's The News Quiz. They got Hattrick Productions to make it, yeah, and it was originally going to be hosted by John Lloyd. Yeah. He'd produced the news quiz, Not the Nine O'Clock News, Spitting Image, Blackadder. What became Have I Got News For You was originally going to be called John Lloyd's News Round. Clever title. Yeah, so they shot a pilot with him hosting, and they had two team captains in that pilot, Ian Hislop, the editor of the satirical magazine Private Eye, and Paul Merton, a deadpan surreal comedian. Yeah. When it became a series, John Lloyd decided not to be the host. So they tried out a couple of alternatives, Sandy Toxvic and a pre-fame Chris Evans, Right. before they decided on Angus Deaton. Deaton hosted it from 1990 to 2002, but he was then caught up in a sex and drug scandal that just wouldn't go away so the BBC cancelled his contract and the show's had guest hosts ever since Ian Hislop has been in every single episode Paul Merton took a break from the show in 1996 but otherwise has been ever present so those two are the mainstays of the show they've been a reliable presence for a long time absolutely they film the show on a Thursday and then they show it on a Friday so they make sure it's still as up to the minute with the news as they can possibly be while still having plenty of time for the lawyers to review everything that's said yeah the format has been remarkably consistent from 1990 to the present day. So we have round one, which is the film round. Each team shown a sequence of video clips without sound 
around and they have to identify which news stories they refer to. Yeah. Round two, the team is shown headlines or some other clue to news stories from the week. Round three is odd ones out. So the teams are shown four pictures and have to spot the odd one out. Do you want to have a go at this? Yeah, sure. Obviously, I'm not going to show you the pictures, but I can describe them. Pot Black Snooker. Okay. The Biarmy Tribe. Biarmy Tribe, right. The Natural Environment Research Council's Polar Research Vessel. Right. And the fossilised egg of an elephant bird. You've gone for quite a hard one, haven't you? <laughs> I'm not going to make it easy for you. It would help if I'd heard of most of those things. Think about Pot Black Snooker or Televised Snooker. Who does that make you think of? Uh, it makes me think of that commentator who said, for those watching in black and white, the pink is next to the green. Ted Lowe, I think. Why is it even on TV in the first place? Who's responsible? David Attenborough. Right. And is that the boat? Is that the one where somebody wanted to name it Boaty McBoatface? And they said, we can't possibly name it that. We'll name it David Attenborough. And one of the yep. little vessels that launches off of it got named Boaty McBoatface. Yep. And then what do you think the Biarmy tribe and the fossilised egg of an elephant bird might have to do with him? Well, one of them might have been named after him. You're very close. I'm going to give you the answer. It's that they were all discovered by Sir David Attenborough, except the boat, which was named after him. Did David Attenborough discover Pot Black? I think he commissioned it. Well, this is a genuine question as phrased exactly on Have I Got News For You? So you'll have to take it up with them. I shall be writing in after this. Right. And then round four, the teams were shown some headlines with a section blacked out and they have to identify the missing words. Oh, yes. So, for example, penguins in Norfolk are what? Uh, supporters of the pedestrianisation of Norwich City Centre. Pedestrianisation, surely. But no, any other guesses? Penguins in Norfolk are... The latest addition to Bernard Matthews' Frozen Range? Very good, but no, penguins in Norfolk are too randy. Oh, wow. It's had some notable guests and hosts down the years. Some people think Have I Got News For You was responsible for the rise of Boris Johnson, first as London Mayor and later as Prime Minister. I know the show rejects that case, but I think it is the show that gave him a mainstream audience. In 2006, so before he was Mayor of London, before his political career had really taken off, he published a book called Have I Got Views For You, which shows you how he felt he was identified in the public mind. Exactly. And in 2008, he got a BAFTA nomination for an appearance on Have I Got News For You. So I'm not sure the show really can deny that that was what helped to bring him to prominence. Well, certainly it was the place where you saw him develop this character of the, well, in his eyes, lovable buffoon. Yeah. When he was first on, Ian Hislop did try to bring up the case of him and Darius Guppy when they allegedly tried to get a journalist beaten up. Yeah. But that conversation sort of got, I don't know if it was toned down for legal reasons or if it was just because Paul wanted to go for a gag, but they didn't really get into that. Yeah. Do you remember the thing with Roy Hattersley in 1993? I do. He couldn't make it, could he? And I don't think it was the first time he'd pulled out. It was the third time he'd failed to turn up. Right. And they replaced him with a tub of lard. Yeah, something imbued with much the same qualities and liable to give a similar performance, according to the producers. Harsh. And didn't Angus Deaton say at least we don't have to install windscreen wipers on the cameras? <laughs> yes, based on that famous spitting image idea of Roy Hattersley spitting all over the place when he talks. Yes. Paul's partner was the right honourable tub of lard MP, but nonetheless Paul managed to win. Paul virtually always wins. Particularly in those days, I remember there being a running gag that Paul was winning week in, week out, despite Ian supposedly being a topical satirical journalist. 
His day job is reading all of these stories and really getting to the heart of the issue. And Paul, I mean, I'm not saying Paul doesn't prepare. He obviously prepares massively, but he comes along, cracks the jokes and always wins. You'd hope they'd prepare well because Ian and Paul were being paid absolute mega bucks. I think in recent years they've taken a bit of a pay cut as there've been BBC pay scandals, but at their peak they were on like footballer wages. Wow. In 2003, remember Sir Bruce Forsyth? Oh, how can we forget? That was one of the greatest moments of television. Good evening. Yes, the papers weren't lying. It is me. But don't worry, there'll be no gimmicks, no catchphrases. So welcome to Have I Got News For You? For you, have I got... Yes! What a lovely audience. (laughs) And you're so much better than last week. Brucey had been a mainstay of British entertainment for half a century. But at this stage, you'd have to say his career looked like it was dwindling. He'd just most recently done a revival of Play Your Cards Right on ITV, hadn't really done that well. His career was essentially done. Yeah, it, it felt like his career was maybe running out of momentum at that point. Yeah. Each round had a Forsyth theme based on catchphrases and games from his career to that point. Bruce called Have I Got News For You one of the best experiences of his career. And then a year later, he's back on top. He's hosting Strictly Come Dancing. It's one of the top rated shows in the country. Yeah, it was an absolute reminder of why Brucey is the greatest person to have ever done light entertainment in this country. I genuinely believe Brucey is the best. One of those rounds that he did, play your Iraqi cards right. Yes. This was just after the American military had released playing cards depicting members of the Iraqi regime. Yeah, as the sort of list of targets, yeah. Play your Iraqi cards right. (laughs) Please. (laughs) This is satire. He was apparently really unsure, will the audience play along? But of course, the moment that first card got revealed, all the audience are there shouting, lower, lower. (laughs) Paul is absolutely loving it. And Ian is like, what on earth? Ian, you go first. Thank you, Bruce. It's the king of clubs. RCC vice chairman is at Ibram. It's a high card. (laughs) The audience will help you. Do you think it's higher or lower? I'm not sure this program can go much lower. (laughs) That's fantastic. Do you think Have I Got News For You perhaps is past its sell-by date? I mean, as you said earlier, they do the same rounds every week. Yeah, I mean, I haven't watched it in several years. I think there's a space for satire in primetime on BBC One. Definitely. But it's always going to be difficult to come up with a format that will work. So I can totally understand them sticking with a tried and tested one. But maybe it's time to shake up the team captains. I mean, they've been doing it for an incredibly long time, but they have done a fantastic job. Yeah, to be fair, they've held the show together since there's been no regular host for the majority of the show's run. Obviously, the reason there's been no regular host is because they fired Angus. But do you think it's a bit hypocritical that he was fired? He did do something illegal. But a lot of people in the TV industry, they are doing that sort of stuff. I mean, maybe not the prostitutes, but certainly the cocaine. It's not like he was banned from the BBC. He was back again quite soon afterwards, chairing another panel show, which we'll talk about later. But I think maybe the point was that the format of Have I Got News For You is sort of 
of pricking at the pomposity of politicians. Nice alliteration. And maybe it was difficult to do that once he himself had been a major news story and a major scandal. Yeah, I mean, there was an episode shortly after it broke where Christine Hamilton was on and Deaton introduced her as the wife of disgraced MP Neil Hamilton. And her comeback was, well, if he's disgraced, what does that make you? Yeah, exactly. I think maybe it did make it difficult when the host was one of the stories. Paul and Ian both got annoyed about it. In the first show after it broke, they were playing it up all the way through the episode. Deaton opened by saying this week's loser is presenting it, and if he thought that was going to be enough to defuse the situation, he was wrong. He made me groan all night. <laughs> what are you doing? Reading the autocue? I'm surprised you had a nerve to turn up this week, really. <laughs> you Thank knew you it was going to be like this. Well, I did, yes, because of you two. <laughs> yes, in a way, it's our fault, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. At the end of the show, Paul revealed that he'd got the front page of the newspaper printed onto a T-shirt. Well, that's not subtle, is it? Not subtle at all. But what do you think about all the guest hosts? I mean, obviously it was done out of necessity, but it's something that they've now relied on for a long period of time, as you say, for more than half the show's history. You can't argue with the fact that the show has managed to survive and thrive all of this time, and maybe the guest host giving it that fresh focus every week has been useful. Yeah, true. Although the BBC did broadcast a documentary for the 30th anniversary a couple of years ago and they included some Deaton clips and it just showed how good he was. It did also show that just occasionally he might go a little bit too far. Uh, economist Milton Friedman won the Nobel Prize for kindly unleashing monetarism on us, bless him, and uh, Mother Teresa, or to give her her real name, Agnes Bonkser Bajaxiu, uh, won it the same year as she won the All Calcutta Shriveled Walnut Lookalike competition. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, certainly very biting. He had an excellent delivery, though, and comparing it to the guest hosts, maybe that's not something you can expect someone to just be able to drop into. No. The success of Have I Got News For You spawned many more comedy panel shows in the immediate aftermath. From around that time, I can think of the sports version, which was They Think It's All Over. But the other big one is going to be my next pitch, Never Mind the Buscocks. So this is Have I Got News For You if you remove the news and replace it with pop music. Yeah. It began in 1996. First, it was hosted by Mark Lamar, the team captains Phil Jupitus and Sean Hughes. Hughes left in 2002 and was replaced by Bill Bailey. And then Bill Bailey left in 2006. He was replaced by guest captains for a bit, but then by Noel Fielding. Mark Lamar left in 2005. He was replaced by guest hosts for a year before Simon Anstel took over. He, in turn, was replaced by Rod Gilbert. Phil Jupitus stayed as a team captain until the BBC cancelled it in 2014. It's now back on Sky with Greg Davies as the host, Noel Fielding returning as one team captain, Daisy May Cooper as the other, and Jamali Maddox as a regular panellist. Wow, it's funny to think started so long ago. Really, really long time ago, and yeah, it seems like the format has still got some life in it. Absolutely. Do you remember the classic rounds from Nevermind the Buscocks? Obviously there was the intros round, yeah. the identity parade, yeah. and next lines. Yeah, there was also Sorry No Refunds, do you remember that one? Oh I do, that was good because they'd come up with excuses for why bands had cancelled shows and you had to guess which one was true. Yeah, so for example, what caused the cancellation of an Eric Clapton recording session in 1977? Was it that he'd consumed a barrel of beer in the studio and was too drunk to play? Right. Was it that a storm-damaged elm had fallen through the window of his house and he had to rescue his valuables? Yeah. Or was it that he'd been kidnapped by Keith Moon for a prank and chained to a Rolls Royce? <laughs> well, I hope it's that one. I find it hard to believe that any musician would be too drunk to play. 
Yeah, and you've paid all that money for a day in a recording studio. You're just going to waste it on beer. just doesn't make sense. The tree coming through the roof, if that happened, you would want to deal with it. So I think on a purely practical basis, I can definitely believe that that's true. But, I mean, come on, getting kidnapped and chained to a Rolls Royce by a fellow rock and roll star. I mean, that is the sort of hijinks that you'd expect to be going on. So you think it was that he'd been kidnapped by Keith Moon and chained to a Rolls Royce? Yeah, however unrealistic it is, I think it's realistic because it's rock and roll. I wish that were true. In fact, it was that the lead singer of The Who, Roger Daltrey, had been so excited Eric Clapton had agreed to play on his solo album that he'd bought him a massive barrel of beer, which Eric Clapton took to working through and then had to be taken home in a taxi because he was too drunk to play. Amateur. Yeah, absolutely. And then there was the intros round, which I'm looking forward to trying out with you. Okay. I'm going to sing the intro to a song and you've got to guess what it is. Ready? Yes. Dang-a-dang-a-dang-a-dang-a-dang-a-dang-a-dang-a-dang-a-dang-a-dang-a-dang-a-dang-a-dang-a-dang-a-dang-a-dang-a-dang-a-dang-a-dang-a-dang-a
and and chase it, Kev, round your shoulder blade and scratch. Yes, rat rapping by Roland Rat Superstar. They've spent their whole lives watching TV. Yeah, yeah, now they're sharing their opinions with you. It's our theme tune. Has that upset you? I just don't roll like a punk. I'm sorry. I hurt my lower lumbar. You'll know we'll never get far. Riding around a storm police car, full of criminals. You're right with that? Yeah, I'm totally all right with so that. so upset. You think a bit... No, 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 I'm not. I just, just thought casual. you guys would actually do something different for a change. Oh, what? Like, not, play, not, not, not give me my own lyrics it's over okay. and over. It's part of the game, Dewey. I know, I know it's like part of the, like, people sit on the show I, and then, like, the way you tie in the fact is it's kind of funny. Oh, look, it's your own lyrics. I've been on forget show, like, nine times. Do you want me to just make it up, then? Yeah, just pick some shit. Pick some shit. Get ready for the next episode. Stoop dog. No, what's the next line? It's next lines, man. Oh, because we ain't got no love for hoes. No. Oh, Lieutenant, I ain't pussy put my ass up on No. Are you alright? <laughs> Why are you so annoyed about the next line game? Let's just go on with this. So angry. You know you just it. gotta sing the next line, yeah? We're not trying to piss you off. No, no, you're not upsetting me. It's fine. Okay. No, I just don't roll like a punk. I'm sorry. Chewy, it's the game, bro. I say a line, you sing the other line. <laughs> they were just there on the show. You'd have to smash a mug in my hair. <laughs> right, let's carry on. You're upset, I know. Sorry, next time we'll be more offensive. see me upset. Don't want to see me when I'm angry. That was Huey Morgan, fun-loving criminals frontman and BBC Radio 6 music DJ smashing his mugs a bit. Didn't sound very cool there, did he? No. Rizzle Kicks got the better of him. One of them. I think it's Rizzle rather than Kicks. <laughs> uh, Jordan Stevens, I think his name is. He's an actor. He's got a book out. He's talented. Very smart. And, of course, hosts ITV2's hip-hop panel game, Don't Hate the Players, which for some reason we're not talking about on this show. That's because my references are never that up-to-date. No. So yeah, Huey losing his temper there. This is a thing that you do see from time to time on panel shows. It's people unable to take a joke. Now, I'm not saying everyone should just sit there and accept it if the host is being particularly insulting, but all that's happened there is they've read one of his own lyrics to him and he's taken offence. And he's trying so hard to play it cool that he's coming across as anything but cool. You're always going to be on the back foot. You're going to be edited. Yeah, that's right. So why pick a fight with the show when ultimately the show is going to have the power, yeah? You can't win. Another example of somebody getting really annoyed on that show was the Ordinary Boys singer Preston. This is in the era when Simon Amstel was presenting the show. Mark Lamar had always had a thing of taking the mickey out of pop stars who were on the show. And there was a slightly aggressive edge to Mark Lamar's humour. But Simon Amstel brought over the act that he'd been doing on Channel 4 on Pop World, really, where he did a sort of style of being friendly, gently mickey taking, and then suddenly turning the knife and say something really cutting to the pop stars who were on. Yeah. So on Buzzcocks, when Preston was on in 2007, Simon read excerpts from Preston's wife's autobiography his wife being Chantelle, who he'd met on Celebrity Big Brother. It's fair to say Preston was not at all impressed by his wife being ridiculed on TV. Paris Hilton work was a low point for me. It wasn't what I wanted to be doing. And on top of that, it caused me some real problems with my hair. <laughs> what? It's a good... Haven't you read it? I don't want to spoil the ending for you. <laughs> the photo shoot was for the Daily Mail, which made me feel really posh and upmarket. Are you... <laughs> See you later. What? Oh, no, Preston, no, come no, on. No, I'm seriously going on. No. Preston, later. we're having fun. All right. Come on, Preston. Oh, no, we can't lose Preston. <laughs> I guess he thought he's been voted out. No. <laughs> I mean, I only read his girlfriend's book. That's his wife. I only read his wife's book. <laughs> What's wrong with that? I can't believe that upset him. I don't know if he's read it. I read the whole thing. It upset me. 
I have a bit more sympathy with Preston here than I do with Huey. Yeah, I do. In a nice way, you could make jokes about Preston having met his wife on Celebrity Big Brother. Yeah, that's fine. But then they did go a bit far and sort of rubbed it in too much. I think they're a bit snobby towards Chantel. You know, I wouldn't expect someone to sit there while someone was mean about their wife like that. The other thing that I find deeply uncomfortable watching it is you can actually see in his face that he's not happy. Yeah. It was mean television. Yeah, it was a bit. Bill Bailey went out into the audience and found someone there who looked a little bit like Preston, a guy called Ed Seymour, and brought him onto the stage, and Ed sat there and fulfilled Preston's role for the rest of the show. He would say, that's bang out of order, every (laughs) time he was spoken to. Yeah, he did well, fair play to him. He did, he did. Took his opportunity. What do you think of Simon Amstel on Buzzcocks generally? That era of Nevermind the Buzzcocks was generally fantastic. Uh, I think it was a real shot in the arm for the show when Simon came in. It was cheeky, it was a little bit acerbic, it was a little bit cutting, but it was in good humour and in good faith. I think that's absolutely right. I actually went to see it recorded while he was hosting, and it was a really slick recording. Yeah, they had the format down pat. They had it completely down, and it was very entertaining. Okay, so that's never mind the Buzzcocks. Excellent. Very strong show. It's now time for me to tell you the show that I've got in mind for this slot already. Oh, yeah. It's Shooting Stars with Vic Greaves and Bob Mortimer. Oh, that is really strong. Welcome to Shooting Stars. Welcome, whoever you are. The stars have been seated. Successfully greeted to come along and let's start Shooting Stars. The first episode went out during a theme night at home with Vic and Bob on the 27th of December 1993. They had taken over BBC Two for a few hours, and as part of that sequence, they put out what was essentially the pilot episode of Shooting Stars. I did not realise that. And that first episode was different in the sense that they had different team captains, but it was the standard format that we got to know and love. The team captains in the pilot were Danny Baker and Jonathan Ross. Ulrika Johnson was a guest on Danny Baker's team. Vic and Bob had seen Ulrika get a gotcha on Noel Edmonds' house party, and really liked the way she reacted. She was taking part in a fake game show, which she took quite seriously, but once it was revealed it was a prank, she thought it was hilarious and didn't take herself too seriously at all. That's ideal for shooting stars, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And so by the time they made the first series, Ulrika became one of the team captains. To provide a bit of contrast, the other team captain was Mark Lamar, who of course we've just talked about in the context of Buzzcocks. Right, Mark Lamar, the 1950s throwback. Yeah, and he sort of played quite an acerbic role to counter the weird comedy of Vic and Bob. Yeah, he was always looking like he didn't really want to be there, wasn't he? Yeah, exactly. He left because he needed to focus on Buzzcocks, and so he was replaced by Will Self, and then after that, Jack D. So they're both deadpan, sitting in the grumpy seats on Choosing Stars. Playing the grumpy part, exactly. And then, of course, there was also Matt Lucas as George Dawes. He kept scores dressed in a romper suit as baby George Dawes. Yeah, and that was the first time I'd ever seen him on TV. Obviously, he went on to do huge things in his own right, but he was very, very funny on Shooting Stars. And the things he came out with, he hadn't told them to Vic and Bob in advance, and I think that generated quite a nice atmosphere. Absolutely. This was the show that sort of really showcased Vic and Bob. They'd done good stuff on previous series. You had Big Night Out on Channel 4, they moved to BBC Two for The Smell of Reeves and Mortimer, and then they did Shooting Stars. And the format worked really well for them, because it sort of had the structure of a quiz that they could keep coming back to, but then they could just go off on their crazy flights of fancy whenever they liked. Yeah, this is when you'd start hearing Vic Reeves' catchphrases all over the place. Up to that point, you would have heard students saying, you wouldn't let it lie. But now everybody was saying, uvavu all the time. And Iranu. Yeah. 
Probably the easiest way of explaining the format is if we just play some of the rounds. Okay, let's have a go. First, I need to introduce you in the style of Shooting Stars announcer Graham Skidmore, aka R. Graham from Blind Date. John grew up on the banks of the River Mersey, raised by the gulls that ply its course. He became interested in TV after seeing this morning's floating weather map in the Albert Dock, which he and his gull friends would use as target practice. John since moved to southwest London, but to this day he can be found scavenging at the local landfill every Saturday night. They started off with the true or false round. Is it true? Is it false? These are genuine true or falses from shooting stars. An adult human produces enough sweat in one year to fill a bath. True. Correct, it is true. In Sweden, carpenters use Rivita as a fine finishing <laughs> sandpaper. False. It is false. And before hair dryers, men used to hire a horse for the afternoon and let the wind do its good work. <laughs> false. It is false. Then we had the impressions round. Either Vic or Bob did an impression, or maybe one of the guests. So I'm going to do an impression for you and see if you can guess who it is. Okay. Here we see elephants mating in the savannah. Is it Davina McCall? It's not Davina McCall. Is it Rusty Lee? No, it's not Rusty Lee. Then I don't know. I've got no idea. Oh, come on. It's David David Attenborough. Yes, the aforementioned David Attenborough. So now the randomizer will pick someone else to do an impression. Oh, look, it's landed on you, John. Oh, how fantastic and unexpected. Give me a second here. Hello, Fred. (laughs) Sorry. Hello, Fred. Oh, could it be Barney Rubble? It's Barney Rubble. That's a very good impression, actually. Yeah, un- uncanny. It's very short. You have <laughs> yeah, to be quite I... tuned into it. <laughs> it is short, and I can't add any more syllables. Then they had the club sing around. Oh, yes. Baby, baby! <laughs> Paul Shane again there. Paul Shane, who we talked about last time. In the club sing around, Vic would sing a song in the club style. And you just had to guess what it is. Okay, and are you going to subject us to your version of this? I'm going to give it a go. Look at us. You must have got it from that. I've got no idea. Is it the Muppet Show theme? No. I've got absolutely no idea. Who's Gloria Gaynor? I will survive. (laughs) Oh, yes, of course it was. Do you want to hear it sung properly? Yes, please. Very nice. To another one? Okay. Is it Oliver's Army by Elvis Costello? It's not Oliver's Army by Elvis Costello. I've got no idea what it was. Shall I try again? Okay. Oh, it's Rio by Duran Duran. Yeah, it's Rio, but I think you mean Duran Duran. <laughs> cool. It's fun to play along with. Exactly. Is it actually a comedy panel show, though, in the way that the others are? Isn't it actually a take of a comedy panel show? I think that's a very cheeky question for the pitcher to be asking the commissioner, but I'll take it at face value. Thank you. 
Obviously, it's a piss take of a comedy panel show, but that doesn't mean it's not a comedy panel show. They are still playing a game, and the winner matters as much as it does on Have I Got News For You or Buzzcocks. What's the point of a comedy panel show? It's to make you laugh, and the game is just a bit of structure around it. No, fair enough. To put it in terms that the art student Vic Reeves would have appreciated, it's a sort of meta-modernist panel show. It is a piss-take of the panel show form, taking in the long history of the panel show in all its different guises together, but it also performs as a show in its own right. Yeah, or you could just regard it as something that's funny. Yeah, okay. Just trying to bring a bit of culture to the show. So another classic round was the Dove from Above. Oh, yeah. But, you know, before the Dove from Above appeared, you'd have to summon it. Oh, yes. So we need to start cooing. (laughs) Oh, look, and the Dove is magically appearing. Yeah, just like in BBC Two back in the old days. There are six categories on the Dove from Above. Yeah. And we'll edit in the ones that are funniest. Those categories are spuds, Doctor Who, eggs, places, etiquette and dogs. Okay. Which category would you like? Etiquette. On wedding night, who should use the toilet first? The priest. Whoever is most desperate for a shit. (laughs) Pick another category. Spuds. Oh, you've revealed George's song. Big potato changed my life. Big potato showed me the way. If you want to know what is wrong from right, you must listen to what potatoes say. So that was the Baked Potato song by George Dawes. Now that was in the charts quite recently, wasn't it? Matt Lucas released it during COVID as a way of making people happy. Oh, that's nice. That's why it's been in my consciousness in recent years. Yeah, but for your question, can you give me three TV shows named after a way of preparing potatoes? Mash. Correct. Chips. Yeah. And Crossroads, which is a way that I like to prepare my potato. Put it in the microwave just for 45 seconds or so, 800 watts, and then you take it out onto the street, wrapped in foil, Yeah. just before the traffic lights, and then you wait for the traffic lights to turn green, and then when a car's gone over it and it's been squished, it's got a really nice consistency. You take that back in, just eat it out the foil. Amazing, you've got a point. Crossroads potato. Do you want to pick another category? Eggs. Give an anecdote of a time when you misheard someone and thought they said fried egg instead of Friday. (laughs) This was uh, actually an ecumenical matter between the, the Church of England and myself when my local vicar said Good Friday and I thought he said Good Fried Egg. And I brought him a fried egg, but he'd actually given up all animal produce for Lent. And so with two days to go before his moment of being able to break that fast, he ate the Good Friday egg because who can resist a Good Friday egg Mm. and consequently lost his faith. Oh dear, that's a shame. We better move on. What category would you like next? Dogs. Please name a type of hairy dog. Uh, Labrador. No, sorry, it was old English sheepdog. (laughs) So that was the core of the game, and then the winning team would put one of the celebrities through to the end game. This was usually something preposterous and humiliating that they had to do. Yes. They put Ulrika Johnson on a vibrating platform. 
She was holding a book with Brussels sprouts on top and she had to keep the sprouts on top of the book while she was vibrated for 30 (laughs) seconds. Cool. Stephen Fry, they sat in a chair and he had to propel that chair without putting his feet on the floor to move round the course to collect tomatoes hanging from the ceiling. Nice. Perhaps one of the most classic moments saw Lisa Stansfield clutch a stick of celery between her buttocks. She had to dip it into various dips, such as hummus and taramasalata, and then had to reverse to a dog to lick the dip off the celery. I'm just inserting the celery, Lisa. Here we go. She's gone for the hummus. She's got, she's got a lump of hummus. Now reverse. Now reverse towards, towards the dog. Five hands, Lisa. Five hands for the Titan. He's got it. He took it. He's got 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 it. He's it's one of the big dips. <laughs> you've got a look. You've got a look. You've got a, you've got a portion. Well done, Alfred. He's, he's, he's got to go for it. You're right. He's going for it. Did he take it? Yes, he took it. Oh, my goodness. She's a, she's a good sport, Lisa Stansfield. She didn't have to do that. Well, you say that, but each dip was worth £10. So, you know, she was very incentivized to play the game. Being around the world, Naya. <laughs> can't find the celery up my ass. <laughs> I don't know what, I don't know if the dog will lick. (laughs) I think you've got quite a tough job beating that. Okay, well, I've got two more pitches for you. Remember when I told you earlier that Angus Deaton had been removed from Provider News for You, but in 2007, the BBC made him the host of their new panel show, which is my next pitch, Would I Lie to You? Great show. So again, a classic panel show lineup with a host and two team captains, in this case, Lee Mack and David Mitchell, and they each have two guests on their team. Angus Deaton left after two series and was replaced by Rob Bryden, who's in that chair to this day. They have different rounds, but all of the different rounds are basically just the same mechanic. One panellist reads out a statement about themselves, and the opposing team asks them questions and then have to decide whether the statement is true or false. The panellist doesn't know what's on their card, so if it's a lie, it's the first time they've seen it, and they have to quickly improvise their answers to the questions. Rob Brydon's a brilliant host. He is, yeah. The American late night chat show hasn't caught on over here, but if you were to think of who could do that sort of role, I'd actually say Rob Brydon. I could absolutely imagine him doing that. He's a much more versatile performer, probably, than he's given credit for, whether he's acting, doing stand-up comedy, hosting. You know, he's always very, very good and very entertaining. And in David Mitchell and Lee Mack, they've got two people who are very quick at improvising answers to questions. Lee and David are both really good at the game in their own ways. Lee Mack, extremely quick-witted, comes up with one-liners at lightning speed and likes to take the mickey out of himself for being unsophisticated and northern. Yeah. David takes a forensic approach to cross-examining the panellists and he'll also take the mickey out of himself for being southern and unworldly. There's a really great chemistry between the two of them and there's also great chemistry with Rob Bryden and I think that's what brings a warmth and affability to the show. Yeah, and I think that was missing in the early series. It's a show that needs that warmth. Previously, it just had that typical panel show blokiness. That's the thing. This show, unlike most of the other panel shows, has really become a programme for all the family. Yeah, absolutely. And that's helped by the fact that it's not just comedians on the panel. That's right. You get actors, newsreaders, athletes, all sorts of different celebrities. So it doesn't have that nasty competitive edge. Totally. And those people like the 
actors and newsreaders and athletes, you see a different side of them. It's that old light entertainment trope of suddenly seeing the newsreader with their legs out, isn't it? Yes. Okay, so would you like to play a game? Uh, Yeah, what have you got in mind? I've got two envelopes in front of me. Okay. One's got a true statement about myself and one's got a lie, which I didn't write and I've never seen. I got one of our very large team of writers to create it for me. So the game you want to play is Would I Lie to You? I wasn't (laughs) sure. Yes. So I will now open the envelope. Neither of us knows whether I'm going to open the envelope with the truth or the the lie. No. You'll ask me questions. And again, as a reminder, if it's a lie, I've never seen it before. And if it's true, you have seen it before. If it's true, then it's a thing that has actually occurred to me in my actual life, yes. Right. Just the the concept of truth. Right. Okay, you ready? Yes. Lee Mack once threw his drink at me after a heated argument in a pub. Well, I can certainly believe that someone would throw a drink over you. No issue believing that. But why were you in a pub? Because sometimes people like to socialise with other adults. Sometimes they like to get out from, you know, under the roof where they spend all their time. And then one of the places where adults congregate is a sort of drinking emporium where alcohol flows. (laughs) Yeah, I I am aware of the concept of a pub. Okay, so that's why I was in a pub. Right. Why were you in a pub with Lee Mack? Ah, right. Well, I wasn't with Lee Mack, but Lee Mack was also in the pub. He was there with a large group of people? He was with his wife and I think his children. So he was just trying to enjoy a nice, quiet afternoon out. Uh, As was I. And were you there with your kids? No, I wasn't. I was on my own. So I'd gone to watch the football. Right. It was a Champions League game. And Lee Mack was there, but he wasn't trying to enjoy the football. And him and his family were sitting between me and the big screen. I think they'd had dinner. Mm. And I said to Lee Mack, would you mind scooching your chair around a little bit, please? Because I can't see the screen properly. Lee said, no, I've got this table reserved and I'm sitting with my family. And if I move over to that way, there'll be too much distance between me and one of my children and not enough distance between me and the other child. So I'm going to stay exactly where I am. What? So he was judging which was the favourite child? in? in no, he was, trying to, he was trying to maintain equidistance between the two of them. And I said, well, but, you know, I need to be able to watch the match and he said we'll stand up and watch the match and I said I can't stand up because there's a short person behind me and the short person will be able to see the screen so would you please mind moving to one side and uh, Lee got a bit angry at me and then uh, he threw his drink at me he threw the pint no it wasn't well it wasn't the pint it was water because he's uh, he's teetotal okay um, but yeah he uh, he flung a, the contents of a glass of water at me and, and got me wet this short bloke behind you I mean was he happy that you were you know you were standing well not standing up because that was the whole problem it was a short woman who was behind me okay but she didn't want to get involved in this what what could have turned into a tumultuous battle between you know two, two giant men mm. from her perspective because she was only three foot tall only three foot tall no that, that's not true she was you know within the the normal human range of height right so lee threw his water over you what happened after that i mean did he apologize did you apologize no i was shocked um i, I realized at this point that it was television's lee mac i hadn't really noticed who it was i was in an altercation with up until that point it was just a normal family then he throws his water over you and then you think oh yeah lee mac he's famous for throwing water over people i now recognize him no it's just because at first he had his back turned to me because he was sitting in the, the chair in front right and so i was speaking to him and he was sort of half you know half turning his head 
and I just didn't really clock who he was. At the point that he stands up and throws water at me, he has to be facing in my direction because he's not some sort of super skilled water gymnast who can accurately fling a glass of water over his shoulder to somebody behind him that's a sort of water ninja. Yeah, that would be impressive. Yeah, so he turns around, he throws, he looks me in the eye, he throws the water at me. And also, at this point, I'm really paying attention to who this man is because he's no longer someone I'm just having you know, a slightly heated conversation with. He's now a person who's aquatically assaulting me there are definitely details in this story that check out but you know lee mack always comes across as a really nice person on tv so you know we have to believe that his off-screen persona is significantly different to his on-screen persona yeah we also have to think that he's gone and booked a table right in front of the tv and he's going to want to continue having a conversation with his family whilst there is a match going on so i'm going to go lie it is a lie written by my 12 year old son jack so thank you for that jack well done jack probably the king of would i lie to you is the aforementioned bob mortimer who's a frequent guest i've got a clip here of my all-time favorite would i lie to you story following advice from chris rear i always crack an egg into my bath when did chris rear give you this advice and in what what context i was making a single for middlesbrough football club's fa cup appearance called Let's Dance, which I did with Chris Rea. And after we'd completed the recording, he popped me into the bath (laughs) and there was an egg. (laughs) It's an egg in it. So you've been recording, presumably, in, in a room without a bath. Absolutely, yeah. And then you finish the recording, everyone's very happy with the track. Yep. And he says, Bob, you look tired. (laughs) Maybe your joints are aching this way. No, it's not exactly like that. It says, I like, that's it, Bob. I think we've got that leg. <laughs> that's your bedroom, that's your bath. I've popped an egg in there for you. And why would he put an egg in your bath? Yes. What was the thinking behind it? Um, I've never found out. All I know is that I woke up the next morning and I have never felt so alive. <laughs> Bob Mortimer is the best at that show. He's an absolute genius. Made for it. Yeah. Every time he comes on, his true stories sound so absurd Mm. that they couldn't possibly be true, and they are. His lies, equally absurd, but he manages to imbue them with such hilarious detail that you start to ask whether they could be true. That story clearly can't be true. Chris Rear is not going to put an egg in anybody's bath, but the way Bob tells it, it could be true. Yeah, and then David Mitchell's team just decided to say that it's true. And when he realises it's a lie, it's probably one of the funniest moments in the history of the show. Of course! Of course it's a lie! He said, he said Chris Rea put an egg in his bath! Of course it's a lie! It's obviously a lie! Who could possibly believe that? Of course! Of course it's a lie! He said Chris Rea cracked an egg in his bath. The whole thing is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and that's why I'm pitching it. It's a simple show, but it's reliably funny. You're in with a chance with Would I Lie to You. And that is true. Well, we'll find out later. (laughs) So what have you got for your final pick? Remember how Have I Got News For You was originally intended to be a topical version of the comedy improv show Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yes. Well, I guess that idea never really went away because in 2005, the BBC launched Mock the Week, a topical panel show co-created by Dan Patterson, who also created Whose Line Is It Anyway? And this show really is what would happen if you got Have I Got News For You and Whose Line Is It Anyway? and put them into adjacent transporter machines, accidentally got their DNA mixed up and what came out was a sort of hybrid monster version of the two. (laughs) It ran from 2005 to 2022, was hosted by Dara O'Brien, 
had six panellists. It was really about the comedians having a chance to show off their stand-up skills and their improv skills. So the rounds themselves are just an excuse for comedians to come up with jokes. There was picture of the week. Panellists are shown a photograph from a news item and they have to identify the news story from it. So very have I got news for you. Yeah. There was a round which was spinning the news, although Dara changed the name of it every week. This was a stand-up challenge in which a handful of the panellists would have to perform a stand-up routine, each basing it on a subject determined by a random topic generator. So they might give you transport or crime or Europe, and you would have to do a short stand-up routine on that subject. And of course, the conceit that wasn't explained on air is that these topics were picked to match things that the comedians already did in their live shows. Yeah, they weren't always really having to come up with it on the fly. There's a round called, if this is the answer, what is the question? Yes. Panellists are given the answer to a question on a topic, and they attempt to reveal what the question's related to. So, for example, if the answer is seven months, what is the question? How about, how long did the lettuce outlast Liz Truss? Nice. How long it takes to get through passport control at Heathrow? <laughs> Following cutbacks, the expected journey time from London to Birmingham on HS2? Very good topical humour ideas, Luke. I'm impressed. Or, after Gary Lineker tweetgate, how long Tim Davies got left as Director General? (laughs) What's the life expectancy of your career after making that joke? (laughs) Less than seven months. (laughs) So shall we hear what the professionals came up with? How old Princess Charlotte will be when the Daily Mail start commenting on her weight? (laughs) (laughs) Is it, how long does my nephew think I've been playing hide-and-seek with him? How long it took for me to get over to see my dad in the bath? That's very quick, actually, isn't it? Yeah. It took me four years. Really? What are you yeah. doing looking at my dad? <laughs> How long does it take to get to Glasgow on a megabus? Yes, a megabus. I am the accepted As if face. you've ever gone on a megabus. I'm, I'm on every megabus page. <laughs> Is it how long it takes Dara to start a sentence? What? <laughs> And then another round was Scenes We'd Like to See, which was an improvisation round in which panellists are given two topics and have to provide comedic suggestions and ideas for each one. Do you want to have a go? Yeah, okay, sounds good. So this is what a TV chef would never say. Um, And to go with the duck comfit, bird's eye potato waffles. (laughs) They're waffly versatile. This TV doesn't fit into any of my puns. Oh, you've gone quite literal there. They're a TV show. Hilariously chef. literal. I'm suggesting that they're a chef of TVs. Welcome to the hairy bikers. We may have shaved our hair and beards, but we're still hairy. <laughs> <laughs> Carefully arrange the... Oh, look, you're just going to fuck it up. Order Domino's. <laughs> what are we cooking today? Will it be mushrooms? Fried onion rings? <laughs> You'll have to wait and see. We hope it's chips, it's chips. This week on Delia How to Cook, we're learning how to make cheese toasties. <laughs> to serve your cocoa van, pour some wine and carefully dip in your... <laughs> Again, let's see whether the professionals came up with anything better. So that's the bird plucked and stuffed. All that remains is to kill it. <laughs> And here, what you want to do is put a little bit of the brown mixture in the tin and then sprinkle a little bit of hash on the top of it. (laughs) Hello, I'm Delia Smith, and today we're going to cook a panda. (laughs) Are are I invisible in this fucking jacket? (laughs) So, I've marinated it for half an hour, seared it for 15 seconds, and now I'm drizzling it on my buttocks. It's not going to be worth it now, is it? <laughs> <laughs> 
So what you could hear there was Ed Byrne constantly trying to get to the microphone to do his bit and then always being beaten to it by somebody else, often when he felt like he'd gone first and he had the right to go up and perform his material. And this is something that you could sense in Mock the Week. Although they were trying to make a joke of it, there was a genuine sense of competition between the comedians and a genuine sense of you really had to elbow others out of the way, sometimes physically, but certainly figuratively in order to be able to make an impression on the show. Yeah, Mock the Week has a reputation for being quite harsh like that, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. And not everybody enjoyed the experience of being on it. So the regular panellists, who can you remember that's done a stint on that show? Well, the team captains, Hugh Dennis, and the other original team captain was Rory Bremner. That's right. And he actually left partly because of this competitiveness thing. Right, yeah. And of course, early on, there was Frankie Boyle. Yeah. The show that made him. Absolutely. Russell Howard was on it a lot early on. Andy Parsons. Andy Parsons, yeah, you've got most of them. Chris Addison did a few series as well, and Angela Barnes was there right at the end. So those are the regular panellists, and then clearly there would be a roster of other comedians who would join them. It's had some controversies. For example, in the first episode of Series 4, there was a Frankie Boyle comment, which was very controversial during a segment called What the Queen Didn't Say in Her Christmas Message. Oh, yes. I'm so old now that my pussy is haunted. That led to the BBC's Director General, Mark Thompson, being challenged about the comments on the news. I'm not surprised, although I think if you are part of the monarchy, you have to expect people are going to take the piss. Yeah, in 2008, there was an even larger controversy following another comment made by Boyle, this time regarding the swimmer, Rebecca Adlington. He said she looked like someone looking at themselves in the back of a spoon. Yeah, I mean, that's just not appropriate. It's personal, it's below the belt, and you should be censured for it. Yeah, the BBC ruled that those jokes are human humiliating and risk defending the audience. But they also said that Boyle's a brilliant member of the team, so they're obviously trying to keep him on side even whilst criticising his joke. Once Frankie Boyle left the show, he criticised the show's production team and the BBC Trust by claiming the show didn't cover enough major news stories and was too restrictive on his act because the producers and the BBC Trust were afraid of frightening the horses, so he thought the show didn't go far enough. Wow. But we've touched on the criticisms that comedians have made on the show. Joe Brand criticised the male-dominated genre of comedy panel shows in general, which I think is something that's improved in recent years, but for a very long time, it was a very, very male environment. She said in 2009 that she wouldn't do Mock the Week anymore, and also that some male stand-ups she knew felt the same way, that they tried it but didn't like it, and quote, we just don't like the prospect of having to bite someone's foot off before they let us say something. Yeah, I think that's understandable. A positive I'd say about Mock the Week is that it was often someone's first major TV gig. With it having finished, I do wonder where are comedians going to get their first experience of TV? Comedy is huge business now in a way that it had never been before. In this century, it has become absolutely huge commercial enterprise. And often the agencies that represent the comedians are also tied to production companies which make TV shows. Avalon being the best example. It's very good business for those sorts of companies to make sure that there are shows on TV which give exposure to new acts who then go on to become the big stars. And we've, we've seen that happen. John Bishop, Kevin Bridges. You see these people go from people you've never heard of to a few panel shows, a few chat shows, and then the, you know, huge stadium acts. Yeah. So I've no doubt that somebody will be out there talking to commissioning editors about what the successor to Mock the Week is. No, absolutely. And I think the other aspect is there are very few shows on TV that are doing satire these days. 
And you, know, you mentioned this when we were talking about Have I Got News For You, how important it is, and I completely agree. But the BBC has just got rid of Mock the Week. They'd got rid of the MASH reports. What is left, Have I Got News For You, is basically the only news piss-take show that the BBC has. It's funny that Have I Got News For You is now this grand old institution. It was very much the spiky new kid on the block. The whole mm. point of it was that it was so disruptive. And now not only is it a fixture in the schedules, but as you say, it's the only thing there. It probably represented something of the spirit of alternative comedy in 1990, or, you know, a version of that. And yet now it's full on establishment and you feel like there should be a cheeky little TV show coming up behind and giving it a kick doing things that Have I Got News For You doesn't dare to do. Yeah, absolutely. So that was Mock the Week and you've had all four of my pitches. It'll soon be time for me to make my decision. But before I do, I just have a few questions for you just to see how much you know about panel shows. I'm scared. So we'll start with Have I Got News For You. The original host was Angus Deaton. But which comedy show about a satellite TV station did he co-write and star in? KYTV. Correct. Would I Lie To You? Yes. No, that wasn't the question. Oh, sorry. We've talked about Bob Mortimer. He's made the most guest appearances, but who has the second most guest appearances? Rod Gilbert? It's Richard Osman. Okay. Richard Osman has had ten appearances, whilst Joe Brand and Rod Gilbert have had nine. So very close. Mock the Week. Their theme tune was by Who? Not The Who, The Jam. Yes, The Jam, with News of the World. And finally, never mind the Buzzcocks. What was the Dutch-language Belgian version of Buzzcocks called? The Dutch-language Belgian version of Buzzcocks. Yeah. Saplan for what? That's very good, but it's Nonkel Pop, <laughs> which translates as Uncle Pop, and that is a play on Nonkel Bob, a legendary children's TV presenter in Belgium. I'm appalled at myself that I didn't get that. Yeah, you got three out of four, although I won't be uh, commissioning any Belgium TV shows from you. I think that's reasonable. So you've pitched, have I got news for you? Never mind the buzzcocks. Would I lie to you and mock the week? Obviously, I've pitched shooting stars. If I go with shooting stars, you have to suffer the embarrassment of being thrown out of this office. Yeah, that would be humiliating. But if I pick one of your shows, then I will give you a bundle of cash to go off and make it. Okay, I'm excited and scared. I mean, there were other shows I could have picked. QI, 8 out of 10 cats, Room 101, Hypothetical, League of Their Own, They Think It's All Over, Celebrity Juice. So I hope I've picked a winner. Well, I hope for your sake, one of those shows wouldn't have won. I'm ready for my decision. You've brought some really good shows today. I have to commend you for four really strong pitches. Thank you. But we should acknowledge that Shooting Stars is a very strong format itself. You came in with a strong one, yeah. It's not a given that you'll win. So you started with Have I Got News For You. I mean, it's an absolutely classic show. As you said, it is the daddy of these panel shows. Yeah. Been going for 30 years. Very funny. But it did give the world Boris Johnson. That is going to count against you. Understood. Buzzcocks. Again, a very funny show. And I really enjoy playing along just now. Its attitude was a really important part of the show. But just occasionally, they went a little bit too mean. Okay, I'm worried now. I don't want to overemphasize this because it's a brilliant show, but I have to find a way of picking just one show. So on that basis, I'm going to rule out Buzzcocks. Would I lie to you? It's so funny. I think your Bob Mortimer clip really brought home how good that show is. Uh, and I have to say, it, it's in strong contention. Rob Brydon hosts it supremely well. He does. And then we ended with Mock the Week. 
again, really funny show. I think, you know, if I've ruled out Buzzcocks because it could have a slight mean edge to it. You've got to lose Mock of the Week on the same basis. I have. So you're down to Have I Got News For You and Would I Lie To You. That's okay. They're strong. I'm confident. They are strong. And I am genuinely torn as to which one to put up against Shooting Stars. I think I'm going to go for Would I Lie To You because even though Have I Got News For You has produced some fantastic comedy over the years, Would I Lie is consistently funny. It has a brilliant host and team captains and when they have Bob Mortimer on, it's on another planet. So Would I Lie To You is going up against Shooting Stars? Yes. Now Shooting Stars, obviously, is Vic and Bob. So Bob is playing a very big part in this decision. True. I think Shooting Stars is supremely funny. It showcases Vic and Bob's humour perfectly. And I absolutely want Vic and Bob on the Cracking TV schedule. Yeah. However, there are other Vic and Bob shows that arguably, if you're a fan of Vic and Bob, showcase their humour even more. Mm -hmm. Maybe there is the opportunity to have a cult TV slot on Cracking TV. And maybe Vic and Bob will do well in that slot. I can see that, yes. So, would I lie to you or shooting stars... I'm going to give it to Would I Lie To You. Yes! I was terrified then. I'm going to be honest, I was absolutely terrified. But thank you very much for commissioning my show. I promise I won't let you down. Well, I hope you don't. But very, very well done. Thank you. So that was panel shows on Cracking TV. Really hope you enjoyed it. Cracking TV was produced and presented by me, John Furlong, and him, Luke Sluman. Our rather marvellous theme tune was written and performed by Simon McInerney. Luke and John Cracking TV is an iHog Factual Entertainment production. It's time to change the channel to Luke and John Cracking TV. Luke and John Cracking TV.